maps, mental models, understandings of the world, worldviews, systems, viewpoints, whatever you want to call them. Um, <coughs> I want to attempt in this episode to help you to understand the deep problem of maps. And it's not even necessarily about true-false, right? Because I don't know if I necessarily even believe in true-false anymore. I mean, because so many, people say, so many people say they're looking for truth, and they say they know the truth when they're just deluding themselves, right? Which is why I created the metric of result versus consequence, but I'll get into that in a minute. But one of the deep problems of many, many, many maps, most maps, I think, is that they are relative, right? You know, if you're trying to garden, you wouldn't use, like, if you're, if you know code, uh, language of coding of, of some kind of software or something, you wouldn't use that to garden, right? Um... And so this is the deep problem of maps is that on one hand, they're really great. The ideas of maps and the things they can help us to do. But on the other hand, oftentimes what I've noticed is that the mind tries to create what I call absolute maps. And that's where the problems start coming into play. Because once you start trying to make something absolute, this is the absolute truth. This is the absolute, you know, whatever. You start running into this deep problem of being unable to... Uh, well, there's a couple problems. Being unable to see beyond this map. Uh, being able, unable to see the problems of this map. The flaws of this map. Being unable to see... How... This map is uh, controlling you in some way, like making you project outward and stuff like this. Um, that's a deeper point, things like this. And so there's a very deep problem of maps that I want to go into in, in this episode. So... <clears throat> I'm not at all saying that maps are not important. I want to make that point very clear from the start because that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure people are going to be like, well, no, but this idea is, is useful for me. And no, I'm not saying it's not useful. That's not the problem. The problem is that oftentimes the, what I've noticed is that people, society, the mind, whatever, will try to like make a map absolute. It will try to make make something a map of a viewpoint and understanding and belief system, whatever it is, um, it'll make it absolute. It'll make it something that isn't real in the same way as reality is real. Um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm reading book. I'm reading a book on the MBTI system, and it's a really good example of this because it's like, on one hand, there are some some interesting points to be made about how introversion is and you know how that there are different like characteristics of a personality like introversion extroversion things like this but like who hasn't been 
an introvert who's gone to an extroverted party and been extroverted. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is the problem of maps. Because if you were to listen to these people, you'd be like, they'd be like, oh, you know, personality is some kind of fixed thing. It's fixed. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't change, you know. But that, but that day you became an extrovert in that party, it changed. So either it changes or it doesn't change. What is it? Right. <laughs> um, that's a deep problem with these kinds of maps. That's that's just a simple example. There's actually much deeper examples of this. That are actually much more uh, profoundly. Uh, well, they're more much more profound, and they much more bring about the uh, the philosophical implications of these maps. And an example that I'm thinking of right now is the idea of evil. Oh, he's just evil. You know, this is this is a good thing and this is a bad thing. This is evil. You know, it's kind of thing. And really, what I become very, very aware of through becoming deeply aware of assumptions and trying to like understand the cultural implications of because the thing that we have to understand as people is that we are all indoctrinated from a very young age, from the beginning of our lives, really. We were born, we didn't have the ability to think critically, we didn't have the ability to understand what the hell was going on. So we were raised in, a, in an environment, and that raising of you in this environment made you indoctrinated. And I'm calling this exdoctrination, which means it's coming from the outside. And eventually that exdoctrination turns into indoctrination, coming from the inside. Um, this is a very valid, this is a very deep point for another episode. But anyways, um, going back to what I was saying, you know, you, you end up in these deep, profound philosophical problems with, with ideas like evil. Because you think something is evil. There's some kind of thing called evil. But really what evil is, and this is something that you can become aware of yourself through questioning every a lot of things and questioning the cultural conditioning that you're really that you were raised with and that you grew up in. You can start to understand that evil is a cultural conditioning. It's a societal thing. It's a family-based thing. Um, you know, if if you were to go back five hundred, eight hundred years ago. You know, the Crusades and stuff like that, people thought that torturing people was as was good because it was getting rid of the devil. Now we would think that that's evil. That's what I'm talking about with when it, when it comes to these things of cultural conditioning. We think that evil is this thing that's inherent to reality. Like, oh, God made good and evil and you know, the devil is evil. What is the devil, right? Um, oh, evil is... Um, this thing where, and I'm not saying, by the way, that there are, aren't things that are uh, unuseful. I use that word. Um, like Hitler, for instance, is a good example of like this. You know, somebody would say like Hitler is an evil person, but in his own mind, he wasn't evil. And in, even within certain other minds that of people who praised and loved what he was doing, he wasn't evil. He was good, right? I don't think anybody who is doing anything thinks they're evil. And I don't think... And because... Because really... 
the, the big problem with life and big par- problem with these kinds of things like right and wrong is that people don't do things because they're wrong. You know, it's not like you grow up one day and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this thing because I know it's wrong. Right? I mean, you could do that, I suppose, but more often what I find is that people do things because they think it's right uh, or because they think something else is right. Like maybe it's something like you would say is bad or evil. Um, but a lot of that is very human-centric, honestly. It's it's really interesting. Uh, and it's nothing. there's nothing wrong with having that, by the way. I'm, I'm just pointing this out so that we can see beyond this absolute absolutism of, of terms like good and evil because it's human-centric. It's not something that you can say and point to and go, oh, this is true in absolute reality. Um, because what is, what is absolute reality when it's true, right? People don't even agree on what is true. Scientists don't even agree on what is true. I mean, literally there are scientists who think, uh, who, um, support the idea of string theory. There's others who don't. And so what is actually true? They don't even agree with themselves on these kinds of issues. And so if they can't agree, why why should we use terms like truth, false? Um, which is why I've developed the, the metric of results versus consequence. Yeah, because you, you want to do, you do something, right? Because you want the result of X. But you get the res- the consequence of Y. Maybe you do get the result of X, but you also get the consequence of Y. And so, I think this metric works a little bit better because you're you're actually, um, of course, better is another problem as well, because you're not focusing on this, this, these absolutes like true, false, um, fact, fiction, truth, lie, things like this, good, evil, good, bad, right, wrong. You're focusing on things that are happening. You know, but what's funny to me about all this, going back to the MBTI, is that, you know, you know, you would statistically think that, like, somebody who is an intuitive thinker, NT, right, INTP or whatever, would not talk about things in terms of reality like this. Like, you wouldn't think that he would talk about, like, oh, you know, you must become aware of the consequences of something. The deeper... And the deeper implications and stuff like this. This is why these this is why these personality typology doesn't really work, because while it is, is is and can be useful, the problem is that oftentimes it's used as like an absolute rule. It's used as kind of like a this is absolute. Your personality is absolutely fixed when it's actually not. Um, there are certain set points that are stable throughout time, but those, just because it's stable doesn't mean those things are fixed. Those are not the same thing. Um, and it goes back to the example that I keep giving of the person who wants a soda asks somebody, how do you get a soda? You know, talking from like a vending machine or whatever. And then they press, they say, oh, press A7. You know, and so you press the A7. It doesn't give you a soda. It gives you something else. And so you ask somebody else, and they go, press B7. So you press B7, it doesn't give you a soda, it gives you something else. Um, 
<clears throat> and so you look on the machine, it says press D7. So you press the D7 and the soda comes out. That's the overt example because that's the immediate feedback. Right? Because if you're not getting immediate feedback from something, you can't really absolutely know if this thing is true or not. Um, of course, the problem is, too, is that you don't always know what the immediate feedback is actually telling you, but that's a that's a deep problem with your assumptions of what what is what is being telling what it, what is being told to you about this um, and that's the deep problem with maps is that you have a situation a circumstance where you're gardening for instance, to give you some some simple examples, right? To give you some more like S-based examples, some sense-based examples here. So you wouldn't you wouldn't use. Um, so if you're doing brain surgery, you wouldn't use gardening tools to do brain surgery, right? You wouldn't use the ideas that you've gathered from gardening to do brain surgery. It wouldn't work, right? And so in the same way, you wouldn't necessarily use the same code for every single thing, which is oftentimes what we get people to do. We have these absolutes like, oh, this is true, this is false, this is you know, things like this. Um, and while science attempts to correct this, there's often context within the things that science tells us. Now, oftentimes what I find is really freaky, actually, but oftentimes what I find is that somebody will tell me something that... that they think science says, some study or whatever, then you then I look into it and I'm going, actually that's not what's being said. That's not at all what's being said. There well and so while there may be some kernel of truth in what they're what they're saying, because like I've said before, all worldviews, beliefs, understandings, whatever have kernel of kernel of truth or seeming truth within them, it doesn't mean that it is actually absolutely true. That's the deep problem with absolutes. There is no absolute. In the sense of like, this one way or solution will fix this one problem, right? Maybe it will for most people, maybe it won't for, for most people. It just depends. Um, you know, this is why it's important to become aware of the problem of maps. Maps are kind of like, one of those things that you use if you're if you're actually planning to go somewhere, right? Like if you're if you have a map that goes somewhere, like um, like the example that I I that I uh, heard somebody give was an interesting one. I'm trying to think of a similar example, right? So, if you're going, if you're trying to go to Miami and you're in Central Florida or whatever. You know, somebody pointing north isn't really going to get you to Miami. It's going to get you to, like, Tallahassee or something, right? And so in the same way, you have these, these different map pieces, and they point you to these different directions, and they think that these directions are they're absolute directions. Like, oh, wait, no, this way, you know. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Probably not, honestly. <laughs> like I said, 99% of the popular opinions are often wrong, because and not because they're evil or dumb or stupid or whatever, I don't really necessarily believe in the ideas of stupidity. But I think really what it comes down to is assumption and this idea of absolutes that we're talking about here. There's only shades of gray. Um, 
maybe you'll find like a 1% of 1% of 1% of all things are, could be black and white, but black and white to whom exactly, right? Black and white to you? Yes, probably, but not necessarily black and white in reality, right? Um, you know, like a good, ex- an interesting example is like, what what is something that you think of that is wrong, right? And the first thing somebody might think of is like a murder, um, right? But what if you kn- you knew you saw Hitler and you knew what Hitler was going to do? Would it be justifiable to murder Hitler, or the example of like baby Hitler, right? Oftentimes, though, uh, the problem with this idea is well, even though that's a, that's an interesting point to be made, is that you don't really know what somebody's going to grow up to be, right? Um, and so that doesn't quite work either because there's like this really interesting phenomenon where you, what, what I've noticed really interestingly is that we look back into the past and assume everything kind of takes like this orderly, like, um, steps. And then that creates something like oh, this created the Civil War, and that created this and this and this. You know, this very linear process, when really, in reality, a lot, a lot of times it's actually a lot messier than this. Um, it's an interesting idea. The interesting idea is called hyper-reality, which is like this idea that like, um, and I'm not probably probably going to be able to explain this very well because it's still very interesting. I'm still kind of working into this a little bit, but the idea basically is that we have a lot of these, like, tropes of reality, um, of, like, a certain person, you know, like, like, the nerdy person, right, like, the, the, uh, idea of, like, the geek or the nerdy person, and so you meet somebody, and he might, he might actually display some of those traits, but he also might be something else, right, he might also be interested in sports, but also be this kind of typical needy, uh, nerdy, geeky person, which kind of goes beyond the trope. Because like I said, reality is a lot more messy than hyper-reality, which is oftentimes what we end up focusing on. This is an interesting problem because if you're focused on hyper-reality, and they call it, I think there's a there's a problem with focusing on this, but if you focus heavily on this hyper-reality, everything looks perfect. It creates this illusion of perfection. And you know what I've said before, I've said this many, many, many times, I literally have a series... In, uh, in a playlist on Spotify called Undoing the Myth of Perfection, where I literally talk about it. <coughs> yeah, these these basic ideas of imperfection, where there's basically three things underlying all imperfect systems, which is everything, right? Which is all the beliefs and understandings that we have. These three things are everything is finite. If I If I have three apples and I take one of them away, I don't still have three apples. I have two apples. Right, and so if you have an economy of seventy billion, or let's say you have a business, and that business makes three hundred an hour, give or take. I mean, it's going to be much more messy than this because, like I said, hyper reality versus reality. But let's just give a number like this: three hundred an hour, and your employees cost about two hundred an hour, and everything else, like the overhead, might be two fifty an hour. So it's about 250 even all of this, right? And so 
let what happens if the wage minimum wage goes up in this area now the employer has to take even more out of his own pocket and so it might be 320 an hour when he normally makes 300 an hour uh, and so what happens something has to give and so the person loses uh the company has to fire some people maybe the company has to remove certain things whatever it is right the deep problem with finiteness it's it's fun and interesting to talk about infinity in the terms of math but in reality it doesn't really exist the other interesting element of this is everything everything is connected right so take the same example that we just gave of finiteness the person now loses em- employers because he can't pay the he can't uh, afford the 3 320 he only gets 300 a month or whatever i mean this is a very like small figure i'm just giving this because it's simpler than going into the, all the deep numbers and shit like this but and so now the people who were once employed can no longer buy things from this company and other companies, which means less money for other companies as well, which means prices, which means that the things that these companies are producing are no longer needed as much. Uh, or actually, yeah, well, no, no longer needed as much, right? And so the, the prices might go up or they might go down. It depends on, I guess it depends on what the uh, thing is in question, right? But you see the point, everything is connected. And the other end of this is time or more information can debunk any perfect any perfect or seemingly perfect uh, system or idea. And the uh, calculation I have always given is reality or perfection plus time equals reality without perfection. And perfection plus or information equals reality without perfection. This is basically what we're going into here. And it really took me a while to see this because, you know, the, you know, it's 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 compelling to believe something that just has these easy answers. Everything seems to be all wrapped up in a bow, um, but reality is not like this at all. And that's one of the reasons why you'll always find a situation where, like, ninety nine percent of things just don't fit. In most cases. Because they're either too complex, too simple, or they're trying to uh, incorporate everything when it just doesn't work. Some things, some things you can find where you can literally do this with your own, you know, mind and stuff like this. But like, like I said, most things are not like this. And so, thus, hyper reality versus reality. Uh, the example that I was giving was basically a hyper reality example. I'm not even going to attempt to give you the messy version because I'm not going to even be able to know what the messy version would be. But I'm just giving you, I'm trying to give you an example of how this can work. Um, because the deep problem with maps is that you can't have absolute anything. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some spiritual teachers and they sit there and they go, oh, you can, you can find this absolute truth and you can become omniscient and all this stuff. And I'm just like, Okay, let's say that you're right, right? Let's say that this is true. Um, number one, what's to, what what is different from your teachings and other people's teachings? Why is it then that other people 
who say the same thing disagree with you on what you say, right? That's the deep problem, right? Number two, even if this is true, um, how do you know that you're not deluding yourself, right? Number three, how do you, if you if you look at the flaws within the system that you've created that you think is absolutely true, will you will that those flaws make you believe in the system less? <laughs> um, things like this. This is this is deep problem maps of mind maps. What you could call thoughts, beliefs, understandings, worldviews, systems, philosophies, whatever it is. Not that these things aren't important, but we have to we have to f- try to see the relativity within these things, which is why I created this idea of consequence versus result versus consequence, right? Because I think what's interesting about this is that you don't have to make anything absolute. Because when you're using the word truth, there's no, there's no like, oh, this is true, this is may, may be true or maybe false, or this is somewhat true but somewhat false. And so you have to even, and so you have to um, go all the way with it, right? This is completely true, this is completely false. Which means you have to make things more complicated than they really need to be. Because, so, say you get you you have a situation where a an understanding or whatever is actually partially true. Like the idea of the left brain, right brain myth, right? So it's mostly a myth, but there is actually a bit of a kernel of truth in it. But if you say that this is a a true myth, or a true thing... Uh, you you would have, to, you know, somebody would have to come along and say no. This is actually partially false because this was based mostly on patients that were different. Like they had to get rid, they had to, you know, basically seizure patients, um, where they cut the uh, this uh, thing that was called the I forget what it was called. Anyways, they cut it. Which separated the two brain hemispheres, two brain hemispheres, which created this myth in the first place, things like this. So you start, you have to go beyond this. And so, what I've come up with, I think, is a little bit simpler. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to find ways of simplifying a lot of this stuff because it's one of the big problems that we face is that the way that we have things set up now, everything has to be complex. Because of these absolutes like good, evil, right, wrong, whatever, right? So result versus consequence is a good example of this. Of course, you can you can mistake you can mistake a, a consequence as well as something that it isn't. But you can correct it. You can correct it a little bit easier, I think, than you could if it was true false. True false. You have to differentiate a little bit more, a lot more actually, and it creates a lot of situations where. People just believe things. Um, you know, but there's still the deep problem of of the fact that when with this one you can still fall into the same problem. Um, but you know, so you do something, for instance, and you get you you want the result of X, you get the consequence of Y. Why? What's causing this consequence? 
what is what is making this consequence happen? What is not making the result happen? You can you can ask that question. You can try to find out. Doesn't mean that you're not going to fall into uh, a delusion or whatever, or you're going to find yourself believing something that isn't uh, result worthy. Doesn't give you the right results, but it helps you to kind of go beyond truth, false, good, evil. Um, if you want the result of a world without division, a place without a dividing, a division, a divisive speech, without all these things like anger, hatred, things like this, we're really not getting that right now. We're getting the result of the hatred and stuff. So we have to ask ourselves, what is causing this result? What is causing this to happen? Or this consequence, sorry. And what is not causing the result? Um, or another example is like, some people think that vaccines cause autism. If that's true, which it might be true, but let's just say it is for the sake of argument. What What is the consequence of that? idea if it's not true if it isn't matching reality what are the results of it if it is true if it is matching reality that's the other one of those matching matching reality versus isn't matching reality um it's a little it's definitely still not foolproof because i don't think anything is unfortunately because that's just the way the mind works in self-illusion is just a common thing but it's an attempt to go beyond absolutes like true false um, you know it's kind of an, it's kind of an uh, interesting problem because The more that you start to like look at the consequence, the more you start to look at assumptions underlying a system, assumptions underlying all of these different systems, you start realizing like how the system is flawed. It doesn't mean the system is wrong. The system is just not showing all of the all of the world. And so the point the point really isn't to say that these maps are dumb or evil or stupid or whatever, because I don't believe in those kinds of absolute terms. I'm pointing to something much more fundamental, which is that. Well, there's two. There's. I think there's a couple things you can I, that that I'm trying to point to here. Uh, number one, the map is not the territory, right? Um, you know, this it, the the example that I always give is the example of the A A seven B seven D seven problem, right? You want a soda, but two people are telling you it's A seven or it's B seven, but it's really D seven, right? <coughs> And so, what we're really seeing here is, <clears throat> of course, that that is a bit of an absolute. But we're talking that's you know in a situ- situation like that, you're getting immediate feedback. You can immediately tell, like if you hit your head, you immediately know it hurts. You may not know why it hurts. You may not be able to go as deeply as that, but you know something is happening, right? If you but if you do something and you don't necessarily get that immediate feedback, which 
when I mean immediate feedback, I mean like immediate feedback, like right away. If you don't really get that, you don't really have an idea of what really happened. That's one of the deep problems is that we're not real, we don't, for most things, you don't get immediate feedback. Um, which kind of causes us to believe things that may not be true. And so number one, like I said before, map is not the territory, which means that just because somebody hands you a map doesn't mean that, that map is absolutely correct. Or even if it is correct, it doesn't mean that map is, ter- is the territory itself. You know, it's funny. I, I think of like somebody looking at a map and somebody going up to this person and going, you know, this map is not the territory, right? The, map, the person looking at the map goes, no, this is the territory. And that's what people do. That's the deep problem of the territory one of spiral dynamics, right? Um, of course, we spot, we, we've talked about spiral dynamics. I'm working on a deep episode on spiral dynamics right now. It's on in the works right now as we speak. But uh, we'll get into that later once I make that episode or once I finish it at least. Anyways, and so the number one is the map is not the territory. Number two, just because this map fits this situation doesn't mean it's going to fit every situation. Um, that's very important. I think we need to stop making maps fit every single situation. Um, you know, number three, the map is just a representation of reality. It isn't reality itself, which kind of brings us as, as well to number four, which is that maps, while useful, are the hyper-reality. And in reality, the uh, reality is a lot more messier than the maps themselves. And so you could actually find yourself uh, misled, because the not because the map is necessarily wrong, but because reality is a lot less uh, ordered and structured and a lot more messy than people realize, which causes a lot of problems when trying to follow certain maps, or most maps, really. Right. Um, that's really the basic point of this. I'm basically trying to help you to go beyond this particular map that you're stuck on, whatever that is. Um, you know, this is something that we have to start to learn how to do as people. If we want to start to become very, very aware and very able to go beyond oneself and one's current beliefs and values and morals and stuff like this, we have to start to question things. We start to have to, we have to start to like ask ourselves, what is this really doing? What is it actually doing? That's one of the reasons why I've chose awareness, clarity, and nuance as my uh, principles, right? Because awareness, you have to become aware of what is going on. Clarity, you have to f- somehow find a way of making things simpler, sim- simple enough to explain what is happening, happening, but no simpler. Something I'm still working with. I'm still still start start. Um, I'm still kind of dealing with that problem, but right now, but uh, and <clears throat> nuance, meaning that we have to find our way of not just seeing things based on our particular perspective, experience, belief system, understanding reality, whatever it is, but also seeing others as well. And eventually finding a way of seeing what I want to call the unique perspective, which is all perspectives in one, which means kind of going meta, going meta on ourselves and meta on other people's maps as well, going meta on all these different things 
which is really what tier two is about. You're going beyond yourself. You're going beyond on your the maps that you were given, the maps that you believed in. Not that there's not you're not that you're going to necessarily going to say, oh, this map is dumb or evil or whatever. But you're just going beyond. But but you're um, just saying, well, it's just a map. It's just a representation of what is. And that's really what it all boils down to. I mean, I made an episode about this a while back called All Anyone Ever Attempts to Do Is Make uh, Representations of What They Think Reality Is or something along those lines. So, hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will talk to you on the next one.